Hello, I'm excited to be doing this episode. This will be the official review of the weekend's fixtures from all the top European leagues. Welcome to the latest episode of Barcona Podcast. So Joshua, I don't know about you, but I feel very much alive now that proper football is back. Well, I mean, I have to second that, bro. I mean, a lot happened from the Premier League to La Liga. Even the Bundesliga had a bit of surprises for us. I mean, it's good to be doing this. Yeah, I'm excited too as well. So what do we have for today? Well, I mean, it's only right to start off in the biggest league in quotes in the world, the Premier League. And what an opening fixture we had. We had Arsenal taking on new boys. Brentford, who haven't been in the top flight of English football for over 70 years, but somehow they get to win their first Premier League game against Arsenal. Now, I remember the last episode we were saying that we expected Arsenal to win, but that we wouldn't be too shocked if they lost. I mean, typical Arsenal, right? Yeah, it's, it's typical of Arsenal. You know, I even called this in the previous episode. I said, anytime I support Arsenal, that's when they always go to their ways and they they, they, they just crumble. And they, they yeah, they proved me right. I was not even surprised about the entire thing. The performance from the players was shambolic. From, from it looked like as if they could they, they were not it looked as if they they don't actually train. Some of the things that we saw on the pitch were shocking. Especially when when we talk about the second goal, the second goal came from from a throw in. Man. Man, you see that second goal? I was stunned watching that thing. Because, first of all, I'm even wondering why Ben Leno came out. He came out, couldn't get the ball, had to go back. And then his defenders were rooted to the ground. Nobody jumped for the ball. I mean, Ben White, a £50 million defender, you should bring something. I know he's young, but he should still bring some experience and a certain leadership. Because the price tag demands that he, he step up fast now. And I mean, he played okay for most parts of the game, but for the two goals, I don't think he did enough. And Arsenal were toothless in attack. I mean, it was almost like since there was no Aubameyang, there was no goal threat. So I can't. I'm struggling to remember too many incidences where you could say that Brentford were really under threat of conceding. And I think that's not good enough for me. Side that I aspire to be in the top six. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's the thing. Brentford, looking at the game, Brentford were the better team. Brentford played very well. And if someone didn't know about football, watching the game, you actually think Brentford were Arsenal because they played very, very good football and it was very entertaining to watch. And what, what is even surprising at the end of the day is that the lineup we saw from Arsenal was very shocking. Most of us didn't expect that. Uh, uh, we are hearing before the game that Abamu Yang and Lacazette will probably not play. Whatever the reason is, I'm still yet to know. But the thing is, still, you still want Arsenal like, to actually go out there and show a bit of character and actually compete. And now it's very worrying looking at it because they're supposed to get a win from Bradford no matter what. I know Bradford played very well. You've got to give Bradford their credit. But at the end of the day, Arsenal are the bigger team. They had to... They had to show that character and win that game. And now it's very worrying because, because Arsenal's next two fixtures are against 
Chelsea and Man City. So I don't I don't see where things will get better from here on out. Oh, well, I think it's very worrying if you're if you're an Arsenal fan, it's very worrying looking at the fixtures because you could easily find yourself in a situation where three games played, zero points to the team's name. So I'm thinking how long before Ateta get comes under pressure because I mean, if we're three games into the season, you're yet to get a point. At what point, after how many games, do you think he will start coming under pressure? Or he, is he already under pressure right now? Basically, I don't think Ateta has ever been under pressure at Arsenal. I might be wrong, but looking at it, like, during on Sunday, after the entire thing that happened on Friday with Arsenal, we saw that your captain, Aubameyang, has been put up for sale. That means, obviously, there's some, something that's gone wrong in the dressing room because you can't put up someone on, on, on the transfer market that you just signed or offered a new contract to. So the, the route Arsenal is taking, instead of getting rid of the manager, who in some games we've clearly seen that he's very clueless, they just want to start getting rid of players. And I just think at the end of the day, it goes back to the root of the pro- problem, which is the owners. The owners, they've not been running that club properly for quite some time. And it's the owners as well that employed Ateta for, for every problem Arsenal is facing. It reflects on what they do on the pitch. I think the problem starts from the top. And if those at the top are not actually doing what they're supposed to do, that's getting the recruitment right, getting the, um, um, bringing the manager that's best for the squad and getting... Um, rid of players that are not supposed to be there because quite fl- frankly this is the worst Arsenal team I've ever seen in my entire years of watching football and I can't even lie to you some of the players there they really need to leave I don't think Ateta is going to be under pressure simply because I think he has enough credit in the bank in terms of his FA Cup success in his first season which wasn't even a full season. He came midway after Unai Emery lost the job, lost his job, and so he got that FA Cup win, galvanized the team, got the well community shield. Like I said, some people regard it as a big trophy, but he got the community shield, and so I feel like those two trophies, are things are giving him the ground, the standing of not being under pressure. I think if he hadn't won anything, with especially with Arsenal finishing. So low on the table last season. I think he might have been under severe pressure, but I think they'll probably give him the first seven, eight matches of this season, and then we'll see how they are from there. I totally agree with what you said about the club being mismanaged in terms of the owners not showing enough interest in the club to invest and bring players. But then again, I think now they can blame it on the coronavirus pandemic, but we know that even before the pandemic, that's how the club was. Now, speaking of Arsenal fans getting frustrated, even the president of Rwanda, Paul Kagame, tweeted on Friday after the loss, and I quote part of what he said. He said, we must not excuse or accept mediocrity. Now, I mean, I think that is targeted at the board, not just Ateta, because this problem has been running deep for years, and we know that Rwanda have a sponsorship deal with Arsenal, what... 30 million pounds since 2018 and we know that the on the sleeve of Arsenal players there's VC Rwanda on it and clearly the president isn't happy because if the, if the club you have a sponsorship deal with isn't performing on the pitch then is hampering the 
success of the deal and then i mean that's why you see the big brands go for the big clubs and give the big clubs big money because they know the success on the pitch will bring the success to their brands and in this case to rwanda and the tourism that they want yeah it's very simple it's very easy very easy to understand if arsenal is doing well so is the sponsorship deal with rwanda too it has to be doing well as well because the success of what arsenal is doing reflects on the brands that promote them so it's very easy and i agree with the president of rwanda as well no point should arsenal fans sit there and accept mediocrity that's wrong the day they start accepting mediocrity that's when the club has totally failed and that's where they've lost their their bragging rights as a big club well i think i'm i'm worried because i think they've already accepted mediocrity you talk to the average arsenal fan on the street and they tell you that top four is not a realistic target if a club as big as Arsenal is hoping for top six, not even targeting top six, they are hoping for it because they know that there's Leicester around, there's Tottenham locking around the corner. So they are not even optimistic about it. It's just, they just hope they get it. I think Voidi Sai accepting mediocrity, but I don't know. Let's see if things will change. Um, hopefully, things change for their own sake. Okay, now over to where things are a bit sunnier. Now in Manchester... Manchester United, I mean, wow. Wow, wow, wow. What a performance. Bruno Fernandes was mesmerizing, hat-trick. Paul Pogba, entirety of last season, he got three assists and he got four assists in just this first match against Leeds. I mean, surpassing your entire season, Stanley, in just one match. I mean, great performance from United. Yeah, I've got to say, I watched that game. Wanted United to lose the game. I wanted to run some agendas on Twitter, but every day watching the game was brilliant to watch. We saw um, the United fans have been crying out for the Pogba that plays for France, and we saw we saw a glimpse of that at the weekend and in the United shirt. So it was really amazing to watch Pogba. He was he stared from the um, left side. He drifted from, from left side to the middle. Bruno was making runs ahead of him, and the combination worked well and you saw the pass he gave to Greenwood that pass was world class that you can count the number of players that can pull that pass from Pogba is one of them and De Bruyne certainly can pull that kind of pass and for Pogba to deliver that kind of pass man that guy is an amazing player and the thing is that is all, all I said about Pogba previously like Pogba doesn't get enough of all this praise. Other players get the praise. I mean, this man had four assists and still what we could hear from the media is missing Greenwood and the other guys. But if United has lost that game, all we hear is Pogba dying his hair, Pogba not signing a contract, things like that. Man, I just, I'm, I'm so tired of the English media. But at the end of the day, taking away politics, it was a good performance. Missing Greenwood is a top baller. We saw the way he finished the goal that he, he scored. That was brilliant. Yeah, a few people in the world that can finish that way. And Mason Greenwood showed that he can be one of them. And still, I think no one could predict that Bruno would get a hat-trick. And, hope, and I'm very happy he got the hat-trick because it's me out in my FPL. Yeah. <laughs> well, he helped me out too. I had him, but I wish I captained him. But then, well, it is what it is. I had Salah. Salah got 17 points as well. But, I mean, I digress. Now, we touch on Bruno there. And 
I mean, I'm wondering, there are not too many people that you feel like will be more likely to win the PFA Player of the Year than Bruno Fernandes, right? It's going to be right up there come the end of the season, right? Yeah, if he keeps up the kind of performance we see, I'm sure he'll be there. He'll be there. He just needs to be very, very consistent this season. Last season, he was, he was inconsistent. He, he had some run of games where he was good and he had so many games where he was very, very bad. So if he can keep up that consistency, then I'm sure he'll be right up there come the end of the season. I think the Pogba situation is very interesting because I played on the left wing. I know usually Pogba is a central midfielder, but then the system United played does not allow for a central midfielder. It only allowed for an attacking midfielder and two holding midfielders. Now, you put Pogba as a midfielder, it limits his creativity or his impact on the game in terms of his numbers. But then you also have people like Sancho, Rashford, Martial, even Greenwood can play on the left where Pogba played. So now I'm wondering, do United go back to, like, especially when Rashford comes back, push Pogba further back and then limit his creativity or leave him at the left and let him have his full creativity and impact in the game, but then at the cost of a Rashford or a Sancho in the lineup? Um, I just think um, the Pogba thing is. It's not rocket science. It's very, very simple. For you to get the best out of Pogba, you need to limit his defensive duties. You need someone there around him that will be able to clean up. So if Pogba has that around him, that's how you get the best out of Pogba. Because it doesn't matter where he plays. If he plays as a number 10, at the left side, at the right side, he will still be very effective because... The guy is the only midfielder I've seen in years that can do everything perfectly. He could give you short passes, long balls. He could dribble. He, he could give you through balls. And he, he can drive with the ball as well. So Pogba could do everything. But the only thing that he can do well is reach danger and his um, track back defensively. But the transfer market is still open. If they can sign someone or... If Fred, either Fred or McTominay can step up and be the DM Manchester United need, I just think wherever Pogba plays, like you said, left side, right side, wherever the position is, even at the number 10, I think you will still see the best out of Pogba. And that's what United fans have been crying for. Because when he plays for France, you see the best out of him because he has N'Golo Kante that can do the defensive duties perfectly. So if you want the France Pogba in a United shirt, you just need someone that will clean up for him and you see the best out of him. Okay, now, over to Chelsea. I mean, Chelsea as well, cruised to victory, 3-0. The mid-light talk of Crystal Palace, Marcus Alonso with a stunning free kick and also, we got to see Pulisic get on the score sheets. But I think the biggest cheer of the match was reserved for Trevor Chaloba after he got his first goal for the club. I mean, the young man was in tears. It was a lovely moment to see and a good performance all around from Chelsea. Yeah, starting with the Chaloba part, he was very emotional. He didn't know what to do. He just went, went to the ground. I was on his knees. He, he didn't know how to even celebrate the goal. It was a very um, interesting moment. And I'm happy for the guy. I'm happy for the guy. He got the goal. And all around, Chelsea played well, very well. They were well-drilled. They didn't, they didn't give away too many chances, disciplined. 
and we saw that yeah they are not still up to speed but they, they got the job done and so it was an effective performance all around and i even i even forgot that alonso could take free kicks and that guy that guy's free kick is very very good it's world class and that was a very good strike from him all in all Chelsea performance was was a great performance, yeah. And now they're adding Lukaku to that. Man, Chelsea, they're looking dangerous. Well, yeah, Chelsea are looking dangerous, but I think the most important thing is the squad depth because we know Ben Chilwell is a starting left back usually, but we saw Alonso putting a great performance. We know Thiago Silva and even Aspliqueta on a right centre-back ahead of Chaloba on the pecking order. We saw his James on the bench. We didn't see Kante, but still, very solid performance. Hakim Ziyech is out. They didn't miss him. I think it's it's more of a real, real quality squad, like almost like Man City now. I mean, in all departments, Chelsea have at least two really good players. The competition for places can, can only be a good thing for them. So we'll see how they kick on. And now, sticking with Chelsea... I think it's very, very intriguing what Thomas Tuchel said about Chelsea being fourth favourites in the title race. I mean, there's no way we're buying that, right? He's just playing mind games, trying to put less pressure on his players. How can they be fourth favourites for the title? Tell me who's um, ahead of them. Honestly, I think Chelsea are the clear favourites to win the title. We are, with the addition of Lukaku, they just became clear favourites because Man City, I think a lot of teams will read their game and because they now they have to find a different way to play since they are not um we a striker yet. And if Kane comes, then Man City they are, they are clear favourites to actually win the title. And I think Chelsea are a very, very close second. But as it is right now, Chelsea they are very clear favourite. I just think it's one of all those things. Manager tries to downplay everything so that the players don't think too much about it and take the um fixtures game by game and actually try to accumulate points so that come the end of the season they'll be right up there. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think Tuchel is downplaying it. I think Chelsea are clear favorites. Maybe Chelsea are not clear favorites, but I mean, at least top two. I mean, they're right up there with Man City now for me because they have more squad depth than Liverpool. I think Liverpool's lack of squad depth would hamper their chances over the course of the season. Speaking of squad depth, so still being linked with Jules Koundé, and I'm wondering, I don't really think they might need him anymore with Chaluba. Or is there a long game plan where they are looking at Thiago Silva leaving next summer, probably Rudiger leaving on a free, and they want to get Kunde now ahead of the departures of these two? I think we spoke about this in the previous episode. But what I'll just say is, um, I think manager Thomas Tuchel um, trusts um, Chaluba. And for a young player, that's very, very huge. And I think going forward, we see more of Chaloba in the team. I just think it's one of those um, things where Chelsea, they, do, they don't really have to sign um, Jules Koundé if they feel that it's not necessary because they've got some fantastic player coming through and Chaloba is one of them. And I think from the performance we've seen, I know it's still early days, I think Chaloba might just be their guy. Yeah, I think Chaluba deserves the chance he's getting. And I won't be surprised if Chelsea forget about the Jules Kounde signings. Now, from one Chelsea academic graduate on the rise to another Chelsea academic graduate living in the form of Tamir Abraham, he has just sealed a 40 million euros 
or 34 million pound switch to AS Roma. And we know that their, their manager is Jose Mourinho. So I think he's going to learn under a very good manager, great manager. I think it might be the best thing for him rather than going over to London, to West Ham or Arsenal in London. I think he has more to learn under Mourinho and especially in another league to help him understand football in a much more broader fashion. And interestingly, Chelsea put a buyback clause of, I think is reported to be 80 million euros. It can be activated in the summer of 2023 in two years' time. So if he plays well, they could be bringing him back just like Lukaku. So I think good move for all parties, right? Yeah, it's a good move. And I'll be tuning in in the Serie A to see what, what, he, what he does for Roma this season. And I wish him good luck in his prospect at Italy. Okay. Now Liverpool cruise to victory over Norwich. Salah getting his customary opening fixture goal as well as two assists. I mean, no surprises here. Liverpool totally dominant, right? Yeah, that's why Salah is the FPL king, man. He's the opening day merchant. Every, everyone knows about that. He's now scored in five opening day fixtures, which is a record in Premier League. And I have, I'm happy for him. At the end of the day, it was a very professional performance from Liverpool. Didn't really do too much. Norwich um, held their own for, for a while and Liverpool were able to break them down. We, we saw a very, very good performance from Van Dijk and I think they missed Van Dijk. We saw the diagonal passes. He was given to the front three, Jota, Salah, Mane. He was just throwing those long balls. From, it was very nice to see because Liverpool, they've missed that when they are transitioning. So it was a very good performance and I just think Liverpool, they, they were like in second gear. They were just cruising and they got the win and it's one of all those games where you just have to get three points and look forward to the next fixture. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they exerted too much energy. I think they had the game in con- control. I, speaking of Van Dijk, I mean, you don't have to be a Liverpool fan before you, you're happy for the guy. I mean, he has been through a lot in the last 10 months. You saw his post-match interview talking about how hard it was to be, like, mentally especially, to be looking at your teammates and you can't move, you can barely walk. He, could, he couldn't walk after the injury. I mean, and to see him give such a good performance at the weekend, you can't help but be happy for him. Now, Tottenham Hotspurs won Manchester City. But why do I feel like that's not even the big talking point? Harry Kane was absent and he's not injured. They are saying he's he's not match fit, but I mean, come on, he wants to leave. Isn't that the reason? Exactly, exactly. I just think it's one of those things where they don't want to make the direct serum toxic, so they have to leave him out of the squad. And I think when things are a bit sorted out between him and the club, then maybe we'll probably see him back or we see him in a city shirt. Now, on the pitch, I mean, it wasn't classic Man City performance, that has to be said. But at the same time, you still have to give sports credit because they dug in, they dug deep. And I mean, Human Song with a wonderful calling effort beats Ederson. I mean, I think Ederson was out of guard by the effort. But I mean, altogether, Jafet Tanganga, very impressive, held his own and kept Sterling quiet for much of the game. And also, we had. Huming Son, like I touched on, the goal scorer. And I think all around, it was a solid sports performance. Yeah, it was a performance that you expect from Spurs. We know how City are. 
you know we know how City plays as well. They love to keep the ball. So Tottenham, in order to stay in the game, you just have to sit back and break. And every time Tottenham had the counter, like they looked very, very dangerous. And it, one of those chances, they took it some with a very beautiful strike. It was a bullet shot. Everyone was caught off guard. The keeper didn't even know what to even do. And all in all, it was a very decent team performance, a very meaty one. They didn't create a lot of chances. And the chances they created were half chances. It wasn't clear-cut. Uh, in the end, I think they just made this cutting edge. It was as if they were still on holiday. I think City, they, they, they are still in pre-season. They've forgotten that the Premier League started. Well, I think it's just a bleep for City. Hopefully, they'll be back at it. And all in all, no, no. Espiritu Santos got his um, first win as a sports manager and congrats to him. Yeah, I mean, I think it shows that City need a proper goal score. I mean, we saw them much of last season without a proper number nine, but it's going to be hard to replicate it. I mean, you have my heart goes out to Gabriel Jesus because the young man reads stories every day where people say City don't have a proper number nine, but then he's a striker, so God knows how he's feeling now. <laughs> That's quite sad. So elsewhere in the Premier League, Burnley lost 2-1 at home to Brighton. Tarkovsky with a controversial goal, but it stood. Everton won their first Premier League game under Rafael Benitez, a 3-1 home win against Southampton. Richarlison was very impressive with a goal and an assist each. Leicester City defeated Wolves 1-0. Who else? Jamie Vardy. Watford stunned Aston Villa in their first match back in the Premier League, 3-2 at Vicarage Road. Aston Villa were actually three goals down before making a late fight back where it was too little too late. Newcastle United lost 4-2 at home in one of the games of the weekend. Stunning fixture. Antonio missed a controversial penalty, but in the end, West Ham were worthy winners. Whoa, that's a lot of goals in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the reasons for that was is the higher threshold for offside decisions. Like we saw with Bruno Fernandes' third goal last season, it would have been ruled off for offside. But this season, with ticker lines, the goal was able to stand and Bruno got his first United hat-trick. That's really nice. So a lot of attackers now we get joy from the VR decisions going yeah. to, into the next game week. Hopefully, fingers crossed. So over in the Spanish Liga, we saw Real Madrid with a comfortable 4-1 victory over Alaves, Karim Benzema with two goals. Yeah, it was a very professional performance. We saw Alaba make his debut. Real Madrid, at some points, they were, they were very vulnerable defensively. Their quality came through for them. They were able to win in the end comfortably. Um, Alaba got a very, very good performance. And he was even able to assist a very midi player like Vinicius. Well, no surprises there. I mean, we all expected Real Madrid to come out on top and they did quite easily. So, good one for them. So, over to the other side of Madrid, the reigning champions, Atletico, got a 2-1 victory over Celta Vigo with two players being sent off in the last minute of the game. Yeah, typical Atletico performance. There were a lot of cards in them. I think all the players were booked. (laughs) Different um, incidents happening throughout the game. But in the end, they were able to get the victory and good start for Simeone's side. I'm, and I'm sure you'll be impressed with them getting the three points considering all the incidents that went on in the game. 
Yeah, yeah. And Sao Niguez with a very, very assured performance. Started out at left wing back and later moved to midfield in the game. I mean, we've heard rumors of him leaving, but with performances like that, Atleti might as well try to keep him. Yeah, exactly. And Korea with um, two goals. Well, he's starting the season nice. Now, over to Barcelona. We started life without Lionel Messi in quite comfortable fashion, racing into a 3-0 lead before being pegged back 3-2 and eventually sealing the deal in the 90th minute with a fourth goal. Now, of course, it was a comfortable win, but they made life difficult for themselves towards the end, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, we did, we did. The first half was a very, very good performance. We were pressing high, moved the ball quickly, had a lot of possession, created a lot of chances. And you can see Barcelona, what they were trying to do from the set piece. Obviously, they've been working on it from the training ground. Even Kuman said it, that he would like Barcelona to get um, goals from set pieces this season. And we saw that all the set pieces Barcelona took were very threatening. Then over in the second half, we dropped off a bit. Um, Barcelona were a bit... Shaky, um, and it's down to some of the changes Kuman made. I, th- I think some of the changes he made, I messed up with the entire structure of the team, and some of the players he brought in, you could see that they were not ready, they were not up to speed with what they were trying to do. So in the end, Sociedad came back into the game. Um, they, they got their first goal. The second goal came from a very beautiful, um, well-taken free kick from Yathabal. Then the pressed. They continued pressing. Then, then Barcelona got a counter-attack, which was led by Griezmann. Griezmann gave the ball to Bradford. A change in pace from Bradford. Then he squared the ball to Roberto for the fourth goal. And I just think going forward, Kuman needs to make sure that whenever he makes a substitution, it doesn't affect the spine of the team. Because when the spine of the team is affected, and then the players are coming in, if they're not up to speed, you tend to shoot yourself in the foot if you do substitutions that way. So... Going forward, Puma needs to improve on, especially when he's making a substitution. So all in all, it was a comfortable victory. This is life after Messi. Well, it's sunshine and roses here. Well, yeah, yeah. It was altogether a very good performance. And I, I agree with you on the substitutions aspect because, I mean, a lot of managers just make substitutions for just the sake of it. And I think Kuman has been guilty of that a few matches in his tenure as Barcelona boss where he doesn't need to make subs and he makes subs that actually hamper the team's progress in the particular game. So I think his substitution making is a bit suspect. Now, there was something very poetic about Gerard Piquet scoring from a Depay assist because we know Piquet took a pay cut for the new players to be registered, people like Aguero, Depay and Eric Garcia. And obviously, Depay was the one that assisted Piquet's goal. So... Piquet assisted him to be registered on in the squad and he assisted Piquet's goal. It was quite nice to see. Now, another player who impressed me was Martin Vitoit. He scored two goals in the game and in the entirety of last season, he got only two goals in La Liga. So, surely he's going to beat his record of two goals last season. Yeah, you're looking at the next R9. This guy is the guy we need. His work rate is very good. His movements, very, very impressive. I think he has improved from last season. I'm telling you, this guy might just be the, be one of the most underrated players right now in, in Europe, considering what he did for Denmark and now what he's now doing in Barcelona. I think calling him the next R9 might be a bit of a stretch, but yeah, he was very impressive. Now, from the good in Barcelona to the quite ugly 
going on behind the scenes but has been reported by the president uh 1.35 billion euros in debt i mean it's really really quite astonishing to see these numbers being put out yeah it's really really worrying uh, barcelona's financial situation is something that is very very shocking to see a huge club like that which was mismanaged by the previous board led by Bartomeu and even Laporta in his press conference yesterday when they asked if um, they will be looking to take legal action against the previous board he said there's no need to be hasty about it that at the end of the day they have to study everything and if it comes to that they will see if they would take that route by the end of the day he also said the club will always be owned by the members and right now Barcelona is sitting on different sponsorship deals and he also said Barcelona currently have five sponsorship proposal for the shirts so obviously they are working hard behind the scenes so that Barca's financial future will start being stable and he also said this towards the end of his press conference that and I quote in the long run the club will regain financial strength so that's Laporta there reassuring everybody that we've got this just give us time and um, our work will start bearing fruits um, over to some other clubs in Spain, we saw Valencia steer the league with a 1-0 victory against Getafe. There was a red card earlier on in the game and still Valencia were able to pull through from a Soler penalty. Then Sevilla were out to face uh, Real Vallecano and they were very, very impressive as well. They won 3-0. We saw Lamela with two goals and Enesiri scored as well. And I'm impressed that Lamela was able to get those two goals considering he's just coming into the Spanish division. Wow, Lamela getting two goals is was actually quite shocking to me because, I mean, he got the same number of goals in 37 games for sports last season. So for him to match that in just one game, I think that's a sign of good things to come. Wow, that's, that's, that's crazy. It seems that sports have been holding the guy back. Well, thank God for him. <laughs> well, moving on, Emery's boys, the Yellow Submarines, Villarreal, they were held by Granada, nil-nil draw. A red card for Poith as he got his second yellow. So, a very average performance from them. So, I think that will be all for the Spanish La Liga. What else do we have, Josh? So, some interesting things happened in the Bundesliga. Erling Haaland doing what Erling Haaland does. does with two goals, two assists. Starting in Borussia Dortmund's comfortable win over Eintracht Frankfurt 5-2. McElroy's also got on the score sheet. Overall, a very good performance from Dortmund. Haaland has been a beast. The season just started and his numbers are looking very, very good. After his hat-trick in the cup, his numbers are quite impressive. He has scored five goals in three matches, which is quite mad. And even when you look at his entire stats for Borussia Dortmund, I think he has played 61 games. He has scored 62 goals. He has 18 assists. That's quite incredible for the young man. Wow, I mean, it's a good thing he has a release clause that kicks in next summer. If not, teams will have to pay 200 million for this guy. Absolute beast. Now, over to the Pernal Kings of Germany. Well, they didn't really look like kings this opening weekend because they were held to a draw by Borussia Mönchengladbach. It was a bit of a shock, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. But when you watch the game, um, Bayern came into it. They played very well. They had some chances, but they couldn't just quite finish. In the end, they just had to set for a draw. So sticking with Bayern, a bit of sad news. Bayern Munich legend, legend and all-time top scorer Gerd Müller passed away on Sunday, 15th of August, age 75. 
this is a man that I think gets overlooked when it comes to the greatest of all time conversation. He was such an absolute polar. Now his goals record is something that we only see in computer games. He scored 566 goals for Bayern Munich in 607 games. And and he also was an absolute machine playing for West Germany. Now his career honors include winning the Bundesliga four times with Bayern Munich, won the European Cup, or the, now we know as the Champions League, he won it three times with Bayern Munich, three times in a row. He won the German Cup four times. He won the Ballon d'Or in 1970, and he has the most goals in Bundesliga history with 365. And for West Germany, he got 68 goals in 62 games. He won the World Cup in 1974 and the Euros in 1972. An absolute great. Well, rest in peace to Gerd Muller, who was an absolute machine. And on that note, we've come to the end of this episode. And Joshua and myself, it's goodbye for now. Thank you.